Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for being with us. I always neglect to tell you my Twitter handle, which is at Kim Ketola. That's K-E-T-O-L-A, at Kim Ketola. It's linked at cradlemyheart.org, which is maybe easier to remember if you're driving. But one of the things that happens on Twitter is that uh, I'm able to amplify voices out there that, you know, in our half-hour weekly broadcast, we really don't have the chance to do. And I became acquainted with today's guest on Twitter uh, because of the posting from a member of his church who talked about, you know, um, one, of the, one of the ways in which our guest, Pastor uh, Graf from Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, one of the ways in which you have really helped your people to understand some of the dynamics of abortion that don't often get mentioned in church. And so it's really a pleasure to welcome you to Cradle My Heart, and thank you so much for joining us today, Pastor Warren Graff. Thank you. It's an honor. Thank you very much. And so I think the the thing that your member was talking about was maybe in a Bible study, as you and I connected over whether or not you could be a guest in our program, uh, a Bible class talking about shame and guilt and what can happen uh, in the role of shame with unconfessed or unrepented sin, particularly after something as life-altering as abortion. And that's a really big place to start, but maybe you can <laughs> talk with us about, you know, I think sometimes we get our emotional wires crossed, but the mm-hmm. but God's Word can help us. Uh, in my experience, the truth of the Word has set my emotions in place rather than trying to come at it emotionally and then learn truth. It just doesn't work that way. So talk, let, talk briefly about this, the role of shame in the man or woman who has experienced abortion in their past. Uh, well, yes. Uh, I guess the point in the, that we were going over in the class would be that in the Church, we often talk about guilt, as we should. Uh, and Jesus, certainly when, for instance, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, uh, is telling me as a sinner that my guilt, the, the the atonement price for my sin, however we want to put that, my guilt has been answered, taken away, atoned for by his blood. And a lot of times, uh, I think we forget to also bring in the idea of shame. And even with that, to think about shame can be, I can bring shame on myself by my own sin, but shame can also be brought on to me by the sin of the world. Uh, for instance, a a woman who is raped, we would not tell her she needs to be forgiven for her guilt, but we would want to tell her that the blood of Christ 
covers the shame that has been brought onto her by a sinful world. And to, for a quick scriptural picture of that, maybe, think of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah, standing before the throne, says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And we have to think, well, why would that be a problem that you live among a people of unclean lips, if your lips are, are clean? But what Isaiah is showing us, among other things, but the, the blood of Jesus is covering us with the honor of Jesus from his cross, covering my guilt, but also my shame. And so to a young mother who has been involved in abortion, it is right and we should rejoice in bringing her the word of Jesus that all sin is forgiven, all guilt is taken away. But we don't want to forget this shame, just the shame of knowing the death of another human, of an innocent human, um, the shame of being brought maybe through a relationship with a man who treated her with dishonor, let's say, the shame of being brought into an abortion chamber with a doctor who is using his hands not to heal, but to bring death. And this shame all belongs to her. As it belongs, by the way, to me, because I live in this world of unclean lips, too. And that's why I should be praying for those who are working in abortion chambers, praying that they hear this word of life and they can rejoice in being cleansed. Praying for all mothers, unwed mothers, uh, mothers who are married, it doesn't matter. Because we're in an unclean world, and we want this this word of Jesus that announces us clean to be spoken to all. So that was, I think, part of what was in the Bible class, of this compassion that Jesus has for the mother, um, for her guilt, but also to cover her in his honor, cover her shame. Uh, and that would be then giving us the compassion that we should have for one another. Hmm. Pastor Warren Graff is our guest, and he is pastor at Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque for over 20 years now. And I know that your denomination, the LCMS, is very strongly pro-life. And I imagine that you have had the opportunities for many um, for many pro-life messages through the years. Um, and it, it, it strikes me that you are threading that needle to disciple your people to understand that God forgives what God forbids. And often yes. in, in a church that is strongly pro-life, the forgiveness is missing, you know, the, the, the message of forgiveness. In fact, the stronger a pro-life message is in a church— um, I've heard from many people, it feels like condemnation because pastor seems to think no one in his church has experienced it. So talk mm-hmm. talk with me about that tension and how you as a pastor resolve that. I mean, is it are they always coupled together, those two concepts, or, you know, is it does it not really fit with a with a pro-life apologetic from the pulpit to also be talking about forgiveness? Um, yeah, no, that's a, um, a very good question. And in a way, I think it's not really a tension or conflict, except that it's a tension and conflict in every sinner. In other words, when Jesus says that 
for instance, whoever, um, what, whoever's had lust in his heart has committed adultery. Um, whoever has not loved his neighbors himself is already guilty of murder. Then I get to realize that if I'm proclaiming the Lord of life from the pulpit or elsewhere in life, but if I'm proclaiming the Lord of life and I'm proclaiming that anything that takes life or harms life or detracts from life is a sin, then I have to know that the first person I'm condemning is myself, or else what Jesus said is not true. So to the person in the pew who is maybe suffering from trauma, from um, guilt, from shame, I need to know that I'm preaching first to myself, because in that way, the worst abortionist or the worst murderer or the worst adulterer that I know has to be me, even if I'm not guilty of it in an outward or civil way, so that now I can see that this Word of Christ that cleanses me of my sin, calls me His own, puts His name on me, is the same Word that I am to give as pure gift to the person who's suffering through the trauma of, say, an outward sin of abortion but they're no more guilty of it before the face of God than I am. It's so majestic. It's really, really touching to hear you put it that way, and I hope that it's ministered to someone who needed to hear that today. Our guest is Pastor Warren Graff. He's pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque. And I did not prepare you for this question, so if you prefer not to answer, maybe you aren't (laughs) even aware of the story because the media didn't really cover it. But I know that New Mexico is one of the few states where abortion is allowed, I think, through all nine months of pregnancy. There may be late-term abortions happening legally in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And there, but there was also a case earlier this year where a young woman was uh, filmed on a security camera putting a baby in a dumpster. And, yes. and so this happened, I think, in January. And... Um, she she was arrested, uh, and there were some passers-by who heard the baby crying. The baby was rescued. The father's family, as I understand it, has taken care of the child now, so there is a happy ending, at least on that score. But as you think about, you know, I mean, I, this story first came to my attention. I never heard it on the news. I heard a pro-life friend talking, you know, denouncing someone throwing a baby, a baby in the trash. And as a person who has experienced abortion and God's mercy in the aftermath, I thought, well, I understand how a teenager could be confused. If she's living in a state where abortion can happen up to birth, she had the baby and then, and then had a post-birth abortion. We're even talking about doing that in legislation right now in different states. Yes. How in the world do we think about a story like this, Pastor? Well, I, I I'll say that's part of what got me. I think in the Bible class when a question had been brought, it wasn't that, it was, because it was several months before that event that you're speaking of, but it was of a uh, a young a, a young uh, uh, child that was murdered uh, in a terrible way in a bathtub, et cetera, by a by a terrible family situation. Um, and it's it's on our news. It still is on our news every now and then as people try to follow it through. And in thinking of that, you go, why is our community following this story through? Why do we care? Um, a little, I don't remember how old the child was, but say four years old or something. A little child is murdered, 
Um, it happened a couple years ago, and we still see it on our news. And I think that that's where we get to say this is this is shame in a community. We're trying to deal with it, and we don't know how. So we keep bringing it up mm. and bringing it up, hoping that by rolling it around in our in our community mind, um, the same way that we do in our own consciences, where we bring up our sin over and over again, trying to justify it. And in our community, we deal with shame the same way. Now, in the case you're talking about, I had actually forgotten about that until you until you just mentioned it. But New Mexico is one of the, how do you put it, one of the leading states for being uh, friendly to abortion chambers, including the late term. And then you say, okay, how can a young mother even get to the point of uh, throwing a, a, a living child into a dumpster? If, but if I can, if I can introduce something else, I think it's because we don't understand what is driving the pro-abortion argument. Now, I may be wrong on this. This would be my read of it. But we think that if we prove that the baby is a live human, that we've won the argument. And to you and me, that may be true. But what we don't understand is that's not what's driving the abortionists. They know that it's a life. And I even, um, I read this in a column by Camille Paglia, who's a leading feminist. She wrote Sexual Personae. She's one of the first wave feminists. And she says she's very pro-abortion, uh, very pro-evolution. Uh, she says that abortion is murder. We cannot fail to admit that. But then she makes the argument that it is murder, but it is necessary for the woman to be able to, uh, and I forget her word now, but overcome the hegemony of evolution. So she speaks of evolution as a uh, hegemonic force. She also calls it a fascist force. She sees in women taken up into this drive of evolution, and, and in that way they lose their personhood because they're being used to bring forth the next generation. Now, I think that that's the actual animating argument for abortion. Mm. Even someone who says, we don't know when it's life. I don't think that's true. I think they do know. But they can't make the argument of, of course, it's a life, but we must be ready to take it. Because the, the stronger needs to be able to crush the weak. It's... And Camille Paglia, to her credit, actually makes that argument that it's the, the strong overcoming the weak. Right, to her credit for her intellectual honesty anyway. Because well, many. Right, to her credit for honesty. Right? Yeah. Not her credit for uh, Yeah, yeah, no. For her neighbor, you know, yeah. the, thing, the thing that strikes me as, I, as you lay it out that way is that it's such a clarifying example of calling good, evil, and evil good. I mean, childbearing yeah. is woman's superpower. <laughs> Creating new life and birthing a child is our superpower. And for women to say that we are the victims of a biology or evolution or how you know it's it's completely upside down from God's plan and point of view. And so only mayhem mm-hmm. can result when we put ourselves in that position. But I think what everything becomes a struggle. Yes, a struggle for power. Correct. 
Interesting. Unfortunately. Well, and we, I guess we see that playing out. You know, this episode is probably not going to air until the fall. We're recording it in late May. But we're in late May, we're seeing this play out with the rage in the streets over the possibility of Roe v. Wade being overturned. And uh, mm-hmm. this, the, the idea of power of the strong over the weak so flies in the face of their other stated value, generally, people who would uh, be in favor of abortion rights. Their other stated value is equal rights for all human beings. You know, this is is denying children their basic human rights. It's denying fathers their human rights as fathers and their role in the lives of their children. They have no legal standing. Many men still don't even understand this, Pastor, that men have no legal standing in the lives of their children before they're born. And so for yes. us to call this women's rights or equal rights, is um, it's like a sick joke, because they secured those rights through sheer exercise of power over the weak and vulnerable child, and over, really, I don't know, is it an exploitation of the weakness of men? Are we back to the garden with Adam abdicating? I don't know how we want to frame that in well, terms of men. No, I, so I think you're right in going straight to the garden. Um, and, and this is where I think that we should focus the foundation of our preaching on, on life, actually. is I mean, we have certain verses of, um, what, what, Psalm 51, of that the Lord hasn't... Uh, that I've been sinful even since my conception. We have in Jeremiah where the Lord has known me even in my mother's womb. But I think, and those are those are good um, insights into how our Lord sees us. But really, what we should do is go to the words of institution of of uh, man and woman and of life. I think, and when we go to Genesis, what Genesis chapter one has. Uh, what the Lord said, let us make man in our image, male and female, created he them. So the, the creation of human is not the creation of man. It's the creation of man and woman, male and female. Then you go to chapter 2, and I think that's where we get to see the gift of life, uh, even laid out more clearly. Because the Lord creates, even though the Lord considers it one creation, male and female, he creates the man... And then he says it is not good for the man to be alone. And when we look at what the Lord is saying there, what is it that's not good? Because there is no evil yet. So good is not the opposite of evil. Good stands on its own. What is it that's not good? The man standing there alone. And then you say, what is it that a man standing alone cannot do? He can't create life. He can't bring forth life. He can't have a family. So the Lord created woman, male and female, now you have them. Be fruitful and multiply, he says, and now he says it is very good. So in our proclamation of life, I think we want to remember it's not just that we want to say it's wrong when you kill. It is. But we actually want to put this fullness of it, of everything about this Lord is the giving of life. It's the bringing forth of life, the the extolling of life. And so we would want every, what, every man in the church, every woman in the church to know that everything in our created world is about bringing forth uh, of the next generation, bringing forth life. 
so that even someone who is, say, unable to have a child, maybe for medical reasons or whatever, they can still know that their life is precious and holy and is used by the Lord to promote, protect, extol the life of the families. Pastor Warren Graff is pastor of Grace Lutheran Church in Albuquerque, and I really appreciate you being here and bringing the scriptural heat. We've heard about Isaiah 6 and um, Psalm 51, Jeremiah, Genesis 1 and 2. Pastor, what is what are the scriptures you think everyone should know related to this problem, in particular that pastors should know and be preaching on to educate and disciple us um, for a biblical pro-life apologetic? Well, I, so I, I really do start at Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Of, of um, It is not good that the man be alone, and then from that we get, well, what is good? It's for the man and the woman to bring forth, to, to be bound together in marriage, and to bring forth life. And then from that, so, so th- then we get our sinful world, of course, because Adam and Eve, we know, fell. Now there's going to be death in families, and Cain makes sure that we quickly know that, of course, by killing his own brother. And and that means then parents aren't going to protect children as they should and all of that. So from this language of man and woman bound together in one flesh for the purpose of the gift of life, we can then go to Ephesians 5 and say, well, what does this man and woman, husband and wife, bride and groom language mean for the church? And it is that husbands and wives, as Paul says, are subject to one another. And that's an important thing, because often that just gets translated as wives are supposed to submit to their husband, and the word submit brings in a power a power struggle. But the Greek word is not the word submit. It's not based on power. That's a different Greek word. The Greek word there is um, be subject to. It's, it's um, the word te- taxios that we get words like taxonomy from. So the, the husband is subject to the wife to protect her, uh, care for her. Um, the wife is subject to the husband to receive every good gift of husband from him. And then when I want to know, well, what happens since I'm now a sinner and I have not been the husband that I should be, I have not been the father that I should be, uh, even if I've outwardly been a father that everyone can say, well, he's a good dad, don't I know from my Lord's Word that I have fallen short? I have not been the father that I... I have thought of myself before my family. And so now, from Ephesians 5, I get this language of this groom, Jesus, who loves his bride, the Church, so much that he sanctifies her, as Paul says, by the washing of water with the Word, by this gift of the name given in baptism. And so, by seeing this language of husband and wife, we get the giving of life in the orders of creation, and then when we mess that up with our sin, we get the redeeming of life by the blood of Christ, who's the groom of the Church, his bride. And now when we have someone who is... Um, lamenting, who is feeling guilty uh, over things in their family, including abortion, um, we get to say, 
Our Lord has spoken a word for that. He has spoken a word that he cleanses you with his own blood, and you are most honored because of him. Mm, beautiful. So if, if um, you encounter someone who, I don't know if it's just even too facile an argument to take up, but I still hear people say, well, the Bible is silent on abortion, or, you know, the Gospels or the New mm-hmm. Testament is silent on abortion. I mean, do you shake the dust off, or do you, how do you answer this, <laughs> this charge? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I guess that's why I, I think it would be important to start with things like what, what I mentioned with Genesis, because really we're about something other than just saying that abortion is wrong. It, it is wrong, so that's not to skirt that at all. But we're about something more than that. So that even if someone says, well, the Bible never said anything about me, and then they put, you know, doing blank to my neighbor. I don't need to worry about whether I can find that verse or not. What I'm doing, and what we're doing as Christians, is we're proclaiming the Lord of life. And anything that detracts from life is against the Lord of life. So, I mean, first of all, the Bible does mention the, the, the death of babies, even even babies being handed over, living babies being handed over to Molech and sacrifice and such. So I would have no trouble saying, no, the Bible, the Bible does talk about abortion in every way that those people knew it. Mm-hmm. But even apart from that, we're, we're, even with things like marriage, I don't want to be known as proclaiming a Lord who's against divorce. He is against divorce. And yet, what we're proclaiming is a Lord who gives marriage. And when marriage is done wrong, then he redeems the husband and the wife. He cleanses them. Mm. Pastor Warren Graff has been our guest, and there's so much more to know. And we'll have show notes for you referencing the scriptures that we've talked about today and some other pro-life resources for your church at cradlemyheart.org. Pastor Graff, thank you so much for sharing and edifying us today. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.